right in today. We're going to continue in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Love Our City. Love Our City. And, the, and what we've been really studying from the scriptures is the importance that God places on his love for people. I want you to think about this. God loves people. But here's the thing. God loves people so much that he commands us to love our neighbors so that they could know it. Now, we got to chew on that for a moment, right? So what we've been doing in this series is we've been gearing up for something that we're going to be starting this year and going forward. You know, we are a, uh, a house that God, you know, has just really placed in our hearts and given us a vision, not just for this city, but for this region. And I believe with all my heart that God has given us this mountain and that God has called us to serve this, this region, not just the city of Newburgh, but beyond. But to really encounter people in a way where they understand that God loves them, that God has a plan for them, and that God is calling them to greater things. How many of you believe that? You believe that? Give God some praise. And so... In this series, we've been examining the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the context for this, this, this uh, parable is that Jesus has an encounter with a man who is a Jewish religious expert. In other words, he knows a lot about Jewish religion and the law and how you're supposed to do that, how you're supposed to walk this out. And so he asked Jesus a question that's on all of our hearts. He says, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I enter into this kingdom that you're announcing? How do I do this thing about faith and a journey in walking with God? And Jesus says to him, well, you're a religious expert. You know the law. How do you interpret it? The Bible says that this man responds in a way that was uncommon for people that were, uh, had an affinity to the Jewish law. Because in, according to the Jewish law, it was a bunch of thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not do this, and you shall not do that. And instead, he responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, you've answered correctly. Go do that. But then this guy begins to lean on his own experience and his own understanding and his own pride. And the Bible says that he tests Jesus by asking him this, well, who's my neighbor? And the reason why he asked that is because according to Jewish law, your neighbor was your fellow countryman. In other words, I'm from Israel, so you're from Israel, so I'm supposed to care for you. I'm supposed to love you. I'm supposed to serve you. And in response to that, Jesus shares this parable, which we're going to look into. In week one, what we learned from this parable is that we cannot claim to love God and not take steps to love people. It's just impossible. First John 4 proves that. In week two, we saw that we have to get over it. What do we have to get over? We all have biases, friends. We all have little quirks, little things that we've been raised with, that, we've, that, we, that we believe, that have been ingrained in us, and those bleed out in different ways. The problem is that when they bleed out, sometimes we hurt people and we cause them to bleed out. Right? So we have to address our biases. Last week, we saw that loving our neighbors is impossible without sacrifice. And by the way, for those of you that jumped online this past Wednesday and gave to our legacy offering, thank you so much. Come on, give it up 
Thank you so much for your faithfulness. We're advancing the kingdom. We're believing that God is calling us to greater things. And, you know, we're, we're taking bolder steps. Well, today I want to talk to you on the topic of bring them to the house. Bring them to the house. And I want you to consider that what I want to share with you today, I'm not giving you my own ideas, my own opinions. That's not how we rock in this house. We're just going to point you to the word of God. So let's see what God has to say to us as we dive back into this parable. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, it says that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've been harping on this point the last couple of weeks. The context for this parable is in a Jewish setting. This is Israelite country, Jericho, Jerusalem. In other words, the people that belong in this story are supposed to be Jewish. And so this man, this Jewish man, this man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and he went away and they went away leaving him half dead. And then it says a priest, a priest, somebody say a priest. This person belongs in this narrative. They belong in this parable. This person is supposed to do something in the midst of this parable. So a priest happens to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He sidestepped him. That's a problem. Verse 32 goes on to say, so too a Levite. Somebody say a Levite. This person belongs in the story too. This is a Jewish religious person. And the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side, he sidestepped him. But then it goes on to say a Samaritan. Somebody say a Samaritan. Samaritan. A Samaritan. This person does not belong in the story. Jewish people and Samaritans were sworn enemies. They worshiped differently. They believed differently. They had different customs. They had different lineages. They had different biases against one another. They hated each other. This person does not belong in the story, but notice who inserts him into the story. Jesus inserted him into the story. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, so he draws near. And when he saw him, the Bible says he took pity on him. The original language denotes that this pity was not a, I feel sorry for you, let me give you a little quick handout. This was compassion. This was deep love. From the very depths of his heart and his soul, this was a, 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 a godly love. And so he loved this man. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. And then he put this man on his donkey. And he brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. Don't miss this point. He took him to an inn and he took care of him, which means he stayed with him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he says, look after him, and when I return, notice his intention, I'm coming back for you. I'm not interested with touch and go. I'm here for touch and stay. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so the scripture says that Jesus poses this question to this man, to this Jewish expert of religious law. But he also points it out to us. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the man says, the one who had mercy on him, the one who demonstrated love, the one who cared for him, 
the one who interrupted his journey and his agenda, the one who made the sacrifices, the one who went above and beyond to secure his healing, to secure his health, to not leave him there to die, but to restore him to life. And Jesus told him, and friends, he says to us, go and do likewise. These are the words of God Almighty in the form of a man. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's an invitation. He says, go and do likewise. And so from the jump, we see that this parable must have been a shock to this man because it completely debunked his belief of who he was supposed to love. It, not just who he was supposed to love, but how he's supposed to love them. And Jesus uses his sworn enemy to tell him, this is the example you're supposed to follow. This was intentional. Jesus was using a Samaritan to speak to the very heart of this man. Because in this man's heart, and in his mind, in his rationale, in his training, in his experience, in his biases, they all spoke against the notion that he was supposed to love like his enemy, the one who hated him. And so Jesus uses this Samaritan in this parable for a reason. Now, in context, according to Jewish law, the law was kind of a quid pro quo, quid, quid pro quo, try and say that three times real fast, right? It was a kind of a quid pro quo a, a way of approaching God. It's God I do for you. I follow this law. And because I follow this law, you will do this for me. Which is an important point because loving your neighbor under that understanding wasn't love at all. It was more out of obligation. And so Jesus uses this Samaritan in this parable not only to identify who he, this Jewish religious expert, was supposed to love. And accept. But he also used this Samaritan to identify who God loves and who God inserts into his kingdom. Now we gotta we gotta chew on this for a moment. You can't miss this point. We can't miss this point. Notice that it was the Samaritan that not only took notice of the hurting man, but it was the Samaritan who bandaged his wounds and cared for him. It was the Samaritan who also brought him to an end, but it was the Samaritan who also brought him to an end and stayed with him. He stayed with him. He cared for him. He, he bandaged the wounds. He cleaned the wounds. He tended to him. He made sure that he made it through the night, that life was still pumping through his veins. He took, he went above and beyond to make sure that this man could make it. And what this teaches us, friends, is that God wants us to consider that he doesn't just accept us in the kingdom of God. There are people all around us that belong there, too. You know what this also teaches us? It teaches us that we cannot love our neighbors from a distance. <laughs> we must be willing to bring them to the place and remain with them in that place 
where they can find their healing and be restored. I remember a story I came across a while back. At some point, I've shared it here, but it's a story of two neighbors. I'm not sure. I don't recall the, the details exactly, but I believe they were either brothers. Whatever the case is, they were neighbors. And these guys lived in a rural area, and they would get together every morning, and they would share coffee on each other's porches. And one of these, one of these guys had a, a daughter who was a lively little girl, and she would run around, you know, and chase rabbits and get into the weeds and all that other kind of stuff. She was a lively kid. So she was always running around enjoying the nature. And this particular morning as they were sharing coffee, the one neighbor who was the father of this daughter says to the other neighbor who lived next door who didn't have any children, he says to, this, to his neighbor, hey, did you see that buck that's been around? You see, it was hunting season. And this was a big, big deer. And so as they're talking about it, they start... Uh, you know, concocting ways that they can catch this deer. And so later on that day, the neighbor who did not have children happens to go out to take some time in his day to hunt. And as he's hunting, he sees the buck. He squares up. He takes a breath. He takes his shot. But right before he pulls the trigger, the buck gets spooked by something and it takes off. Well, it turns out that when the buck moved out the way, there was somebody behind it. It was this man's daughter, his neighbor's daughter. Unfortunately, she lost her life. It was a mistake. Well, his neighbor swore he would hate him for the rest of his life. He detested him. He would not look at him. He would not share coffee with him. He would not talk to him. It was his sworn enemy. And one day, a carpenter happened to be coming through this region. And he was journeying to another area, but while he was on his journey, he stopped in this town looking for work just to get a couple of extra dollars for his journey. And he comes and he knocks on this neighbor's door, the one who had lost his daughter. And he says, I'm a carpenter and I'm coming through your area and I'm just looking for some extra work. Is there anything that I can do here on your lands? And he says, yes, I'm going to be gone the entire day. And I have a big job and I will pay you good if you would do it. He says, I'm going to be gone all the way to the wee hours of the night. If you could build a wall right along that creek between me and my neighbor across, that would be great. I don't ever want to see him again. I don't want to see his property. I hate him. And the carpenter in silence says, he just mutters, he goes, I see. And so the man gives him the material. He leaves and the carpenter gets to work. Well, late, late that night, the man returns. And when he's pulling up onto his property, He's in complete awe and disgust at what he sees. Because instead of a wall, he sees the carpenter putting in his last nail in the bridge that he built between these two lands. And as he's walking towards this man, and this man is seething, as this man is walking towards the carpenter and he's seething, and he's about to let him have it, the neighbor darts out from the other side and he runs across this bridge and before the man could even anticipate what was about to happen, he hugs his neighbor and he begins to cry and he's asking him forgiveness. And this man didn't understand what was happening, but in this moment he embraces him and they both begin to cry and restoration began in this moment. As this is taking place, the carpenter begins to slowly back away. And just as he's about to turn away, the neighbor, the man who lost his daughter, says, wait, where are you going? 
And he says, I've, I've, I'm, my, my work is done here. He says, no, no, I've got many more projects for you. And the carpenter says to him, I can't stay. There are more bridges that I need to build. The reason, friends, why God calls us to love our neighbors is because he wants to build bridges that facilitate healing and bring people that are far apart near. God calls us to love our neighbors. And he uses us to build those bridges. You know, one day there was a moment where Jesus was eating as an invited guest. He was the guest of honor in this house, a house of a Pharisee. This is a, someone who was very much like this Jewish expert that Jesus had this encounter with that led to this parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and Jesus was there, and there was a man among them, the Scripture says, who suffered from severe swelling in his body. And Jesus turns to the Pharisee and all the other Pharisees, all the religious people that were there, and he asked them a question. He asked them, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? Now, the reason why he asked them that was because in their understanding to do any work for God, anything that required any effort, you weren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. They thought it was worship unto God. And so Jesus asked them this question, and the scripture clearly tells us that they all were in silence. They did not respond. And, and in that moment, Jesus saw what was actually going on in their hearts. You see, the scripture says that Jesus noted that they were all sitting, they all chose to sit in places of honor. This was an elaborate affair. This was an elaborate dinner. And there were specific seats for people who were held in high honor. And these people assumed the role of I am to be honored. And so they sat in these chairs. And you see, Jesus noted that these men were more concerned with where they sat. than a hurting man who sat among them. He's in this place at this elaborate feast and there is an exquisite meal that has been prepared and as he's sitting there He's noting that everybody wants to sit close to him. Everybody wants to be near to him. Everybody wants to hear what he has to say. Everyone is here for Jesus. Everyone wants to be closest to the person of honor. And they want to assume positions and place themselves in, 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 in an arena where they are esteemed in honor. Meanwhile, the guest of honor is a man who's hurting. And so Jesus responds to this with a parable. A parable that builds upon this parable of the Good Samaritan and compels us to go love our neighbors. 
Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 16, says that Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a banquet, and he invited many guests. And at that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come for everything now is ready. Everything now is ready. And it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. And I must go and see it. And please, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. And so... I can't come. And another said, I'm too busy. I got to go to my kids' soccer games. And another said, hey, I'm just too tired. It's been a long week. And another said, I just want to sleep a little bit more. And another said, I don't need to be amongst people of God because God is with me. But what you got is also needed for someone else. And the servant came back and he reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. There is still room. There is still room. There is still room. I still have room. There's still room in the house. The master said to the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Hmm. You know, one reason why we're called to love our neighbors is because they belong to There is a cancer, a disease that is endemic amongst some people of faith. We love God so much that God's love is just solely focused on what we get from it. And Jesus gives us a command, a call, a battle cry, and he says, Get out of the house and go bring people to the house. Go lead people to healing. Go tell people there's room in my kingdom for them. Go meet people in their hurts, in their hangups, in their deficiencies, in the places where you hold biases against them. Go there and meet them there and bring them to my house. And today I simply want to propose three steps of application. And let me just clarify this. Application means that Jesus wants us to apply this. To take the words of Jesus and not act upon them 
is not application. It's disobedience. So the first point I want to share here is that we should turn our house into a home. Friends, turn your house into a home. What am I talking about? In this parable, the host prepared a great banquet. And he invited many guests who made excuses why they couldn't come. And this refers, in in context, when Jesus was talking to them, this refers to the religious people of Israel who rejected Jesus because they wouldn't do what he said. They were at the table in places of honor, but they were far from God because they were oblivious to a man in need of God's touch for his life. But notice that this did not stop the host in the parable from his intentions to have guests of honor. Instead, he saw others from all over. Friends, that's how you and I got to this point in our walk with God. Because we didn't belong and we found out that God says, you do belong in my house. There is a place for you. There is healing and redemption available to you. But friends, this doesn't just refer to you and I. This also refers to neighbors all around us. Listen closely. Who belong in your seat of honor. Who belong in the kingdom of God. And we should also note that This invitation was not to a meal. It was to a banquet. And the original language, the term there for banquet speaks of a chief meal. Chief meal denoting that it was was a space where honored, high-valued guests were invited. And notice who the Father says. Notice who the Father says, I want to come. For those that don't want to come, love you, but there's still room in my house. You see, everybody's a guest in the kingdom of God. But how will they know they belong if they're never invited? Friends, what good is it to proclaim that God loves people if we don't honor them by sitting among them, by spending time with them, by demonstrating care for them, and by bringing them to the banquet? Let me give you scripture for this. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sin. Offer what? Hospitality hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It is by grace that we are saved, and it is that same grace that we are to extend to our neighbors around us. What good is a house if it's not a home? What good is it to host people if we don't help people? What good is it to have great church services if we don't excel at serving people greatly? 
There are people all around us. Everywhere we go. And they need Jesus too. And here's where the rubber meets the road. What will we do? What will you do? We're called to love our neighbors, friends. Not for feel goods. Not for pats on the back. Not for accolades. Because according to the parable of the Good Samaritan, they've been left for dead. And somebody has to bring them to life. And here's, here's, here's what I know in my limited understanding of medical science. It takes someone that is alive to help someone who's dying. And the Bible says this, and you he made alive who were once dead. Let's bring life, ladies and gentlemen. Let's, bring, let, let's reach people. The second point I want to leave you with here is that the table is set. Just bring people to the meal. The table is set. Bring people to the meal. Listen closely. I'm, I'm just going to tell on, on me, and I'm going to tell on us, because I've been there. I remember the days when... I didn't dare to love my neighbors or even try to encourage someone or even try and bring someone to the house. Why? Because I thought that it was up to me to save people. What, what, what if I don't say the right words? And what if I, I, I fumble that scripture? What if I, I mess it up? Let me tell you something about love. Love transcends all language. You ain't got to worry about what you have to say if your intent is to love them with the love of God. And so sometimes we, we don't dare to love our neighbors or try to bring them to the house because we think we have to feed them and we have to fill them with the truth and we have to do the work. And let me remind you, friend, that you and I are not the Holy Spirit. Notice in the parable that the table is set by the host. Let me show you this from scripture. Isaiah 25, 6 says this. This mount, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. How many people? All, all peoples. Yeah, you know that person that you detest? That person too. You know that person that you ignore that without words you're telling them go to hell? That person too. All peoples. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for, of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. This is the God that we serve. And he says, bring them to the house. I've set the table. I've set the table. Now, in Old Testament times, mountains were a place of meeting with God. 
And let, let me also remind us to reflect upon the fact that when Jesus would go to meet with the Father, it was always in mountain places. They were a place of meeting with God. They were a place of worship. They were a place of sacrifice to God. But they were also a place of receiving instruction from God to act. And God says in Isaiah 25 that it's on his mountain that he prepares a feast for all people. You know, it's the reality, friends. God is able to feed people. To minister to the very heart, to the very needs of our neighbors. Our job is not to change people. Our job is not to convince people. And our job is not to convict people. Our job is to love people. To act in love, to walk in love, to demonstrate love, but also to do it in truth. Let God do his job. Just bring people to the meal. Bring people to the meal. So instead of placing pressure on yourself to convince people about Jesus, can can I tell you what's one of the worst things you can do with people? It's debate with people. Remember, love covers the multitude of sin. Doesn't excuse it. It doesn't co-sign it. But here's what it does: it covers. Let me cover you in the midst of your mess. Let me love you right where you're at. Let me listen to you. And when that happens, we make way for the Holy Spirit, God Himself, to do what He does best. Let me show you this from Scripture. John 16, 8 through 11 says this. And when he has come, this is Jesus speaking about his spirit. He's told his disciples, it's better that I go. They go, no, don't go, just stay. Just stay. Jesus goes, no, I got to go. Because if I don't go, then the spirit will not come. See, Jesus walked in power and authority, but Jesus, the Scripture tells us in Hebrews, subjected himself to human limitations. So he could only walk in one place at a time. He could only talk with a certain amount of people at one time. He could only interact with a certain amount of people in one place at one time. He submitted himself to those limits, but the Holy Spirit was, is much better. The one that lives in you, that breathes in you, that speaks to you, that's touching your heart right now. Because he's in all. He's with us all. And so when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. Now, i got to address something. For some of us, we hear that word convict, and here's what you think. Trial, judge, jury, executioner. I have heard people in an almost heretical way, man, disrespectful way, say, get him, Holy Spirit. Excuse you? And, and they stand on this scripture. But you see, the word convict here does not mean to be trial, to have trial, judge, jury, and be executioner. The word convict here means to convince. To bring such a revelation of truth that it convinces, it convicts the heart. And you go, that's right, that's true. And so when he has come, he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Watch this. Of sin, 
because they do not believe in me. So here's what Jesus is saying. By my spirit, people, as, as we interact with people, here's what the Holy Spirit begins to do. They begin to see, man, I'm, I fall short. I don't have it all together. Welcome to the club. <laughs> right? So he convinces us of our sin because he's been raised and, and we're still struggling right here. Right? What else does he do? He convinces us of righteousness because he's, Jesus has gone to the Father and we see him no more. So what is Jesus saying? Because I am risen, right? You got to understand what it means when Jesus said it is finished. It's complete when he rose again. He rose again as a man to prove that men can rise too. So hear, hear me clearly. The Bible says that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not we are becoming. We have been made the righteousness of God. And I'm about to mess with some of you because I don't think, I don't think some of you can handle this. And this isn't my idea. But if we are the righteousness of God, then here's what Christ has declared and what he's done. You are everything that's right about me. Now get this. Get this. Lest you be on your religious high horse. Understand clearly where we're coming from with this. What the scripture is showing us. The Bible says that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. The Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? So what's right about Christ is right about you. Not because of your behavior, but because you are in fact a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. The Bible declares we know no man after the flesh, but we know him after the spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit convicts, convinces us of righteousness, he's convincing us of this. Man, I'm wrong, but he goes, no, but I've made you right in my, in my sight. I've made you acceptable in my kingdom. I've, I've declared you are my son. You are my daughter. I have declared by my word that nothing can separate you from my love. I have declared from my word that as sin was as red, I have made you as white as snow. I remember your sin no more. And so he convinces us of righteousness, but then he also convinces us of judgment and not our judgment. Notice what God says in his word. He's talking about a judgment of the ruler of this world. Let me tell you where some of us go wrong as believers. We believe wrong. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. We believe that Satan still factors into the equation. And there's only one thing Satan can do. Jesus called him the father of lies. So here's all he can do is lie. He'll lie and he'll lie and he'll lie. But it's up to us to take the lie and allow it to simmer and accept it as truth. And then we act upon the lie and he's going, ha ha, you're doing it to yourself. But what does the Holy Spirit convince us of? He's been judged. He's a done deal. Thus, the very first prophecy ever declared in the book of Genesis, 
you, he, he will strike your heel, but you will bruise, he will bruise your heel, but you will strike, you will step on his head. I'm telling you right now, you are doing better than you think in this kingdom of God. And friend, if you think that you don't qualify for the kingdom of God, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I've dealt with sin. And that need that you see in you is you recognizing that I'm right here with you, inviting you to the table. I'm convincing you in this moment that no matter how wrong you've been, and even now as you mess up, it can't change what I have declared. I have made you righteous by the blood of Christ. And I'm telling you, that devil that has lied to you, that destruction that you have subjected yourself to, that you have yielded to, I... On the cross, I nailed the accusations against you. I have declared that you have been made righteous, and the devil has no right to your life, to your family, to your home. Be free. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. You love your neighbors. The last point I want to leave you with here is that the best way to bring people to Christ is to go to them. Go to them. Go to them. Notice that when the banquet host heard that there was still room in his house for people, he told his servants, go to the roads and go to the country lanes. The original language identifies that as highways. There were places that were frequented by many people. There were thoroughfares where everybody walked through, the markets. But then it also talks about country lanes. And that alludes to high byways. And byways were intersections. There were places of decision. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go this way? Do I go that way? And you know, everybody in life is walking in a direction. Daily people face decisions. And Jesus says, go meet them there. Years ago, when we were in the city, we were, we were youth, youth leaders in the church that we were at in the Bronx. And I remember, you know, we, it, was, it was an amazing move of God and we had nothing to do with it. That's the best part. It's a small church and, and you know, maybe 30, 40 people. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, God just placed it on our heart to begin to work with the teenagers. And we just kind of just stepped up and, and we just loved them, man. We would open. We moved from 194th and Marion to Patterson Avenue. It was a nicer apartment. It was cool not having roaches and rats. It was. But it, it, that, that was just a part of it. But I remember that one of the reasons why we decided that we were going to move there is because it was closer to the church and it was closer to a lot of these kids. And so Friday nights we would have service for them and then everybody was coming over to our apartment. 
and we were having popcorn and we were talking and we were laughing and we were playing games and we were having some real, genuine, real conversations. Talking about what they were struggling with. And I remember on one of these particular nights, a Friday night, kids are walking in and we're saying what's up and, you know, a bunch of guys walking in a group and there's this big kid. I thought he was a grown man. Had a goatee, long hair, right? Tough-looking kid, man. This kid was like 5'10", 5'11", 220 pounds maybe. He was solid, right? And he looked mean. He walks in with these kids. And I didn't get a chance to connect with him. We have service. We have a great time. Everybody's leaving. He leaves before we can connect with him. And so we asked some of the guys who were still at the church at that time, you know, that, as we were closing up, say, hey, who was your friend that you came with? He says, I don't know that dude. Never seen him in my life. The next Friday, he comes. His, his name was Jay. He comes. We got a chance to connect with him. He says, man, listen, man, I've been walking by this place every Friday night. And he was coming through. He was high, drinking. And, but he would walk through, 16 years old. He would walk past, and he says, I just felt like, man, I got to come in here. And he says, I saw these guys walking, and I said, you know what, I'm going to just walk right in with them because they look just as bad as me. <laughs> and they were. <laughs> and he walks in with them, and, but that night he accepted Jesus. That night he had a personal encounter with God. And let me tell you something, this kid was a problem. He was all in on Jesus, but he was a problem. We sold my precious Mitsubishi OZ Rally Lancer racing model car with the spoiler that I stupidly bought for a family of four. <laughs> but it looked cool. But we sold it and we bought a Nissan Quest. It was a big, it looked like an airplane, looked like a spaceship. And we would throw these kids in there and we would take them to the beach because they, they never left the hood. And this was like 50 kids, not all in the van, but probably half of them were in the van. Right? It, it, yes, we broke the law. Yes, we did. Anyway, we would do different things that were evangelistic. And I remember we would do this thing that I used to, I used to say to them, hey, fellas, you guys want to go on a drive-by? And some of them were like, I'm down. And it's like, no, we're going to go reach people for Jesus. Oh, all right, I'm down, I'm down, all right, all right. And so I remember one time we got in the van and we, we pull up Soundview Projects, right? We pull up and all these dudes jump out the car and I'm walking towards this guy who's holding these two pit bulls, big dogs. And as I'm walking by, he lets the chain go in his hand. He's holding on to it, but he lets the, all the slack go, and the dogs come right at me to bite me. He thought I was a police officer. And I said, bro, I just want to talk to you about Jesus. Well, in the midst of this, Jay throws his hands. He's like, what's up? You want to throw hands? And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> this kid was a problem. That was a platform for God. Listen to me. There are people all around us that we sometimes look at them and we go, that person's a problem. 
I don't want to talk to that person. I don't dare reach these people. And what I'm telling you is that we are to go to those problems because those are the, those are the platforms that God uses to reach the lost. This kid, listen, his mother was a drug addict. His father was a drug addict. His father was a, 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 a percussionist. He used to play for Jerry Rivera and all these people. He would travel all over the world playing with professional salsa bands. He was amazing, but he had a, a bad heroin addict. He had a bad issue with heroin. And this kid's home was a mess. We would go into his home. We would sit in the mess. We would see his mom at his worst. We would see these kids, his little sister, man, precious little girl, man, just confused and struggling, and mom strung out. And God took this problem, and he turned it into a platform that reached his mother, that reached his sister, that reached his brother, that began to reach all these other kids. And what I'm inviting you to is this. It's the heart of God. Bring them to the house. Compel them. There's room in God's kingdom. There's room in God's kingdom. There's room in God's kingdom. Let's go get them. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.